We've all seen movies that are truly unforgettable. Some of those movies captivate our imagination and so move us emotionally that we return to them over and over again because of how they make us feel. And then there are other movies. They're unforgettable not because they captivate us, but because of the content they contain, and that can be almost impossible to forget too. Maybe that's good in some ways, maybe not so good. I love the movie Goodwill Hunting, for example, but holy cow, did they have to use the F word so much to tell this story? And to this day, I can remember the first time I saw Saving Private Ryan, a movie that absolutely changed the way that I think about warfare because of its graphic depiction of the reality of the violence of war. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, last week we launched into a discussion of how Plugged In reviews movies, and we talked about several of the categories of content we use to help you know what to expect if you're considering a certain movie. So we talked about positive, spiritual, and sexual content. We also covered a lot of territory, and we realized that as we talk about these content sections, it may be that there's more to say and that we need to slow it down just a little bit. So this week, we're going to talk just about violent content. We're going to talk not only about how we try to give that information to you in our reviews, but also offer some thoughts on how to process these kinds of content as well. And I think especially with violent content, it can be tricky because we can get a movie that is really a wash in perhaps really graphic imagery, but it's still moving toward a redemptive end. So what do we do with that? We're going to unpack that in our main conversation today. And in our second segment, Paul Lacey is going to tell us a little bit more about the new Amazon Prime series, The Legend of Vox Machina. And Safe to say there's a fair bit of violence in this yes, one as speaking well. speaking of violence. <laughs> so before we dive in, I'd also encourage you to subscribe to The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a comment, leave a review, leave a like. We would love to hear what you are thinking about our conversations. And I think speaking of conversations, we're going to have an interesting one today. And joining me are my fellow Plugged In compatriots, Paul Acey and Emily Clark. Hey, guys. Good morning. Hello. All right. Well, as we launch into our conversation about how we deal with violence in our plugged-in movie reviews, I want to start with an odd personal question. What's the most violent movie you've ever seen, and how would you say those images affected you? Insert title of any Quentin Tarantino film. Okay. (laughs) But no, actually... um, I think the most violent movies that I've seen are actually like horror slasher flicks, like the Halloween movies and the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, because those those take blood to like I, I creative levels. Yes. We'll just say they takes it to creative levels and gratuitously because none of it is necessary. And as far as how it affects me, um, you know, it kind of depends on the context of the film. I have had recent nightmares even you know from the time i was a little kid and first saw my first horror movie that had violence in it to you know adult to just last night really you know i have had nightmares like that involve like blood and gore and guts and all that stuff and it's not fun it terrifies me within those dreams and then but then you know there are other things like war movies i could watch any war movie and the violence won't make me have nightmares but it makes me very sad because they're depictions of real life 
it affects everybody in different ways. And it really depends for me on the type of movie it is. Okay. And we're going to unpack that idea as we move forward. Paul, what about you? It's a really tricky question, honestly, because you have so many different types of violence, not only different levels of violence. That's a great observation. But different Mm. types of violence. Say more about that. And, you know, as I was sort of thinking through this, I think that the most disturbing violent movies that I've seen are probably maybe the Saw movies. I've had uh, the pleasure, quote unquote, to review a few of those. (laughs) And those can be really difficult. I would say that Hacksaw Ridge is amazingly violent, but it's an interesting movie, which we may be talking about more as well. Yeah. And I think I would probably have to say Saving Private Ryan, Mm -hmm. which I mentioned Mm -hmm. in the intro. Um, I think it's 22 or 23 minutes in that opening scene, which is D-Day. You know, it's the invasion of Normandy. And especially when I grew up uh, and I was born in 1970s, I remember there being in syndication this show called Rat Patrol. Do you remember Rat Patrol? I do not. I've heard that name, but I don't know what it is. And it was a, you know, it was a World War II show. And I think a lot of the World War II stuff up to that point had been relatively sanitized. So somebody gets shot, they fall down, you know, you know, they're dead, but you don't see anything. And Saving Private Ryan, I mean, I still remember it was the kind of movie where you realize at some point you stopped breathing mm-hmm. <laughs> while you were watching it. Mm-hmm. Like it was so literally breathtaking in a horrific way, just seeing the dismemberment. And I'm not going to say much more than that, other than to say, if you haven't seen it, man, I would say on one hand, it's important to see because it depicts the reality of war. And on the other hand, it depicts the reality of war in utterly utterly gruesome and realistic ways and it that was something that just stayed with me yeah it's it is interesting what violence can do to you i think the 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 depiction of violence that i always have have the most trouble with are those that really dehumanize the people okay. who that violence is being enacted upon and sometimes you have these movies that sort of uh, demean the human person to just a pile of meat, Mm. right? And that's what really bothers me. The interesting thing about Saving Private Ryan, and we won't belabor this too much, but because of the level of gore and violence, it's both dehumanizing and yet it's such a human story that it brings us into a different sort of category. Right, and and you get the sense that the point of the gratuity – was not merely to be gratuitous. It was more what happens when you're on a beach and you get hit by a mortar, yeah. you like, know, like limbs come off. And yeah, like the only way you could get around maybe showing that on screen would be if you didn't show it on screen at all. Right. You know, that's the only way you could get around it because that is what would happen, you know? Yeah. And I haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge, but it seems like it's in similar territory. Absolutely. Uh, just in terms of the realism with the violence. Well, when we started our conversation about our content grid last week, one of the questions we talked about was just how we go about capturing that. And so I want to ask that same question here before we move on and talk a little bit more about how we process different kinds of violence, because I think you're absolutely right. But what can people expect when they come to a plugged in review in terms of, you know, how we categorize and write about violence? I mean, we're gonna tell you like it is if there's an explosion but nobody's harmed then you know we'll write things explode if 
people are harmed, then it's like people are killed in an explosion, you know, but we're not going to go into graphic gory detail. We're not writing you a graphic novel. We're not doing any of that. So it's like, we're going to say what's happening without painting a word picture. Okay. It's a really interesting um, exercise, I think, for us in a way, because of all the content issues that we deal with in our reviews, violent content in certain movies can be so overwhelming. You know, even even in superhero movies, you just have so many fights, so many big battles that are going on that it's impossible (laughs) to categorize them all. And so you end up doing a little bit more of a of a quick Cliff's Notes version, you know, to give people some good examples of what to expect without detailing every single thing. In some horror movies, you know, what I will do is I'll say, okay, so here are a few examples of some extreme content and then lump the rest together so that we're not, you know, because we only have so many words to actually use for this stuff. We got to move on. No, I agree with that because um, I did, uh, I think it was called Spiral, which is the Saw sequel. Oh, yes. Um, You lucky person. Yeah, right? (laughs) Uh, No, but I remember kind of just doing that, just being like, okay, what's the most extreme thing that happened? I'll list like two or three of those as examples and then be like, just and there's more. Yeah. And there's more. And there's more. <laughs> this is this is where it starts. You, you don't use your imagination, but use your imagination. You know? <laughs> it, <laughs> it's sort of weird because in this time, you know, you always try to do different things with your reviews, right? Yeah. yeah. And I find myself, if it's a really bloody movie, I try to think, how else can I say buckets of blood? How else can I say vats of blood? What is a new bushels of blood? Exactly. Except that bushels large just containers of blood. <laughs> Exactly. It becomes sort of an exercise in creativity. Okay. Well, Paul, I want to circle back to your observation that sort of, I'm going to rephrase it, not all violence is created equal. Like we really get different kinds of violence on screen. What's the difference, do you guys think, between stylized violence and, say, The Matrix, which at points sort of feels like a ballet of violence and the way that it's choreographed? Yeah. And the realistic violence in movies like Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge or or even The Passion of the Christ, which I think is a different kind of violence, but an attempt at realistic depiction of it. I think that when stuff is choreographed like that, it's like you said in The Matrix. Well, it's just that it is a dance. It's choreographed. It is, you know, nobody... Nobody thinks that this is what's actually happening in real life unless they're just like, oh, it'd be so cool if we could do this, you know? I think that's true of a lot of, like, superhero films. I think it's true of um, a lot of combat, like, hand-to-hand combat-type films. So if you watch something like the uh, Ip Man movies or... Any or the Karate Kid movies or something. It's like or just that's martial arts movies. In any general. martial arts movie, exactly. It's like a dance. You're, it is. It's like a dance, and you know, none of the actors are sitting there risking their lives for those stunts. You know, because they've been practicing. Literally, they they had somebody teach them the fight, and then they've been practicing the fight for weeks. It is literally like a dance. Whereas, you know, in those realistic depictions, it's more about special effects and graphics and trying to you know get the blood color just right, which you know on. The the one hand is kind of sadistic in a way because they're trying to make it so real and you know somebody watches it and they're like "Ooh, that doesn't quite look right let's let's make it gorier or let's pull back even you know and it's just so strange because that's what they do to make something look realistic but um when the audience finally sees it on screen it can be like very much like whoa 
well, that happened, you know? Yeah. It's a very, very interesting question. I, I would say that there's probably four types of, generally speaking, four types of violence that we deal with. You have the choreographed violence, right? That's sort of you see in martial arts movies. You have the incredibly salacious, grotesque, almost laughably silly depictions of like violence. Quentin Tarantino. Yes, that's Kill what Bill. I was about to say. <laughs> exactly. You have slapstick violence that right. you sometimes see in cartoons or whatnot. And then you have these these really graphic, meant to be very real yeah. depictions of blood and guts. And and those all demand sort of a different sort of filter as we sort of wade through them, I think. Um, and, you know, sometimes me myself, I sometimes find myself debating whether realistic depictions of violence are necessarily worse than what we would see in a slapstick comedy. You yeah. know, because it makes when you see realistic depictions of violence, you feel it. You know that it's, it's consequential. terrible. Exactly, it's consequential. But you know, I think that a lot of kids probably had maybe like I did when I was growing up, watching Tom and Jerry or The Roadrunner, and you think, man, I really want an anvil because it would be so much fun to drop, drop it on, it on somebody's head. head. Right, exactly. And, and so you lose that context. All of a sudden, violence becomes funny. And I wonder if that can be just as damaging in its own way. I saw an article once, and it's been years ago, so I'm not going to remember who wrote it, but this person suggested that much of the violence that we rate R should be PG because when we see it, we get a realistic depiction. So like, again, Saving Private Ryan... Whereas the sanitized stuff, they felt like it should actually be rated R because it's not real. And you actually have to be an adult to sort through what's real and what's not. I thought what's that was safe a, and what's not. Exactly. Right. I thought that was right. a really interesting argument. And I think the other thing related to this question of when we stylize violence, I think that there's an implicit glorification of it. Yes. You know, after you know, the Matrix came out. Shortly after that, Columbine happened. And you had two guys that showed up in black trench coats. And there was a discussion about whether the stylized violence in the Matrix could have been a contributing factor. Now, we're not going to go very far down that rabbit hole today. But I don't think really hyper-realistic, you know, warfare violence there's nothing glorifying about that. But when I see Neo doing flips with an AK-47 in slow motion, it doesn't feel realistic. It feels like a video game. And so I think the question for us as parents, as we talk about how is this influencing our kids, I think we're tempted to give violence a pass sometimes. But I think we have to talk about how that stylized violence may be influencing us. I think we are inclined to give it a pass sometimes. And I, I even remember not that long ago, you and I were sitting in this very room doing a podcast on Shang-Chi yeah. and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And we were talking a little bit about some of the martial arts scenes that were there, which were incredibly uh, beautifully choreographed. I can say that, I think, with a straight face. Yeah. They were really well done. And yet you know that there are teens who take that and move it into a different sort of place and could actually do some harm to people. I was going to say, yeah, there are always, you know, 
kids who could watch stuff like that and take it to a different place. Like, and I'm specifically thinking of like the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. Like, if you watch those shows, they are not like glor. I don't think they're glorifying the violence, but you do notice that y- these people, because they have this skill set, because they know martial arts, they use it as a weapon, and they're able to use it as a weapon in their everyday life. You know, there are different forms of karate. Some of them are defensive only, and so I know a lot of people who have learned the defensive methods, and they're like. I wish I knew how to attack people, though. And that, that's where you kind of got to draw the line. Because if it's, you know, it's one thing when somebody says, I want to know not only how to defend myself, but how to attack because I'm scared that I might actually get attacked. And it's another thing to say, oh, I just want to know how to do how to punch somebody out. You know, that's a very different type of violence. And it makes you wonder, like, you know, do you want to do this because that's what people are doing in the show? Because FYI, that's not real. That's not how real life works. If you punch somebody in the nose in real life, you're going to the principal's office. Right. You know? Don't I know it. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's important for each parent to assess their child and be like, how is this affecting you? I love that. And I think that is the question. How is this affecting you? How is it affecting your heart? How is it affecting your kids? And I think if you notice that there's more aggression, if you notice that their behavior has changed, that's a good sign that perhaps some of what they're consuming entertainment wise may be influencing them more deeply than they would want to admit. And so we've got to be students of our kids in that. Yeah, and I think the younger your kids are, the more carefully you need to see how how it's manifesting in their lives. You know, again, I, I think that most of us have had an experience with cartoons where we see something violent happen on screen and it seems really funny. And yeah. then you do it in your kindergarten class and it's not so funny at all. Um, and, and so <laughs> it's good to be a parent. It's illegal. And help, help your kids walk some of these things because when you're young enough the lines between what you see on screen and what happens in real life they're just blurrier than they are than when you get older so i think it's really important to keep that in mind especially when your kids are younger well again i feel like in some ways we've just scratched the surface on this topic of how violence influences us but i hope as you have listened today you have had some anchor points as a parent and as a moviegoer just to think about how violence may be affecting you may be affecting our kids and how important it is to pay attention to that because these images come in and they change the way we see things. And some of them, as we were talking about at the outset, really can stay with us for a long time. And and we want you to be wise and discerning in the way you deal with violent content in your family. Well, in our second segment today, we're going to talk about an oddly titled little show with uh, (laughs) some Latin in the title, I think, called The Legend of Vox Machina. Paul, what what is this thing, The Legend of Vox Machina, for those who aren't necessarily... fans of this franchise already right right or as i like to say vox machina vox machina <laughs> yeah. like so, did you put did you put the clothes in the vox machina last night like i asked you that's exactly right <laughs> no honey i didn't <laughs> so the backstory of vox machina is that it started out as 
essentially just a group of voice actors who were gathering together playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yep. They had so much fun and apparently it was so entertaining that eventually it moved into these other channels. Uh, it became this show called Critical Role that was on Twitch, that was on YouTube. Um, YouTube. Uh, and it's sort of this weird pseudo show podcast type of thing yeah. that can run each episode runs three to six hours. And, and it's all these people who are essentially playing Dungeons and Dragons. Imagine if we had three to six hours. Imagine. Can you imagine <laughs> how much we could impact in three hours? So uh, so that's essentially where it started off. Uh, there was an effort to create a special you know, uh -huh. an animated special for The Legend of Vox Machina, which is essentially Vox Machina refers to the initial group of adventurers, Dungeons and Dragons adventurers that so went we off into... So fighters and mages. Exactly. No magic stuff. users, healers, all this kind of stuff. It's all very classical fantasy stuff. Um, there was an effort to get uh, just a special to show these people sort of fleshed out in animated form. Oh, fleshed out. I like what you as did it, there. As it were. <laughs> they raised eight times as much money as they thought they would, and they drew the attention of Amazon Prime, so it became a whole series. And this is where we are with this. Uh, essentially, it is sort of an origin story of how Vox Machina became a sort of a defender for this particular kingdom. And... Uh, uh, in the process, we meet some of the villains that we saw earlier in these critical role actual podcast type of settings. So. If protecting carts from swindlers and killing goblins for gold isn't getting us anywhere, I don't know, maybe, maybe we could try doing some good this time? Nah. Now, if you are given to enjoying fantasy or role-playing or D&D or you've listened to Critical Role or watched Critical Role, you might think, cool, they're taking the next step. I'm totally all in on this. What would you say to somebody who hasn't seen the first episode of Vox Machina but maybe has watched Critical Role? I would say reel it back a little bit. So, <laughs> so first off, cool we, your jets, we, as we said back in the day. That, that Critical Role has its own problems, yeah. right? It has lots and lots of swearing. You're going to hear a lot of that. But because it but was it's sort not of, constant. It's not constant. And because it's sort of just these people sitting around talking with each other, you don't have the sexual content. You don't have the mm. violent content. So it sounds like we've got some problems. We have some problems. So uh, let me give you kind of where I was as I sat down and, and <laughs> I sat down in my chair, started watching it. And at first it sets up as this sort of this classic fantasy story. You yeah. see the, the, the mage, you see the warriors, you see them all facing off this incredible danger, looking very strong and powerful and exciting. And then they are all killed in incredibly gruesome yeah, ways. It's sort of took a very South Park turn it, instantly. It really did. And, <laughs> and I will say, just on the heels of our violent content discussion, honestly, when I see violence in, in animated form, it feels paradoxically more real, more visceral for me. It's ridiculous. Like, I I know exactly what you're talking about because we've reviewed a lot of series um, that have done that. The There was a Witcher movie that was animated that came out on Netflix. There was some vampire show that I can't remember the name of. Castlevania. Uh, yeah, that's what oh, it was. Yeah. And Castlevania. Oh, 
they're so gory to the point where, like, it almost makes you sick to your stomach. Right, right. It, it, and that's it, not the only problem here. Well, that's it, not the- it's crazy because they're animated. They shouldn't, it, you would think, oh, it's not, it's a drawn and or computer animated thing. This won't affect me. And then you're watching it and you're like, mm, well, I don't feel so great. <laughs> I watched the first two minutes at home and my wife happened to be there. <laughs> and the first minute feels like Lord of the Rings. And then... Not so much. And she's like, what kind of cartoon is this? Yeah. And it's not a cartoon. It's actually kind of an anime style. Right. right. Uh, but it gets really R-rated really fast. It, the, the artwork actually feels like Avatar The Last Airbender for yeah. those who are familiar with it. And, and because of that, I think at a first glance, some parents might think that it's just fine for their kids. And then you get into the first two minutes, then it gets really, really bad. And then you watch the next five, and it gets worse in an entirely different way. The F words start coming. You have some very, very explicit, in some ways, sensuality that you're dealing yeah, with animated, as well. Animated nudity and sexual acts. And I'm like, yeah. as my wife said, what kind of cartoon is this? Because yeah. if you thought it was a cartoon like Saturday Morning... Not so much. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's really disappointing, I think, because the story is engaging. It can be funny, but it is so incredibly bogged down by so many of these other elements that, you know, obviously it's off limits for families. But when you're talking about even adults, it's really, really shocking. I, it's, it's just not something. Well, and to tie back into our initial conversation about violence, it feels like a case study in gratuity. Right. And the kind of gratuity where there's nothing redemptive happening here. There's just a coarsening of everything. And you just sort of feel slightly nasty when you get done watching it. And I and I think um, I'm a fan of fantasy. And so I think for me, it, it was a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, ah, I don't know that you had to go. It almost felt like they were pursuing shock value for the sake of shock value. So if you, especially if you have listened to or watched and enjoyed Critical Role, just know that even though that could get a bit salty sometimes, this is next level stuff. And frankly, it it feels like something totally different. And if you got kids that wander into it, this is not for kids. Goodness gracious, yeah. And now it's time for a part of our show we like to call Pop Culture Connection. We started this last week, and we've tweaked it a little bit from last week. And here is how it's going to work. And I know you're all waiting on bated breath to see what we have done to this segment of our podcast. We've got about a dozen pop culture-related questions in the proverbial hat. And our producer, Ashley, is going to draw one, and each of us will have 30 seconds to answer that question. And we're going to keep score, too. So say the question was, and this is, a, I think, a profound question. Why do you think Star Wars is the best movie of all time? For each reason you give, you get a point. Whoever comes up with the most points in answer to those questions wins. Obviously, each person will get a new question because if, you know, you're sitting there coming Thinking up about it. with your bullet point yeah. list ahead of time. That's not really fair to anybody. So uh, Ashley will, uh, you know, just like those firms on award shows, she will adjudicate the fairness of this process. I trust and Ashley. And I think it's going to be super fun. So Ashley, 
I'm going to turn it over to you. Who would you like to go first this awesome. week? Awesome. Well, just because he trusts me so much, I'm going to choose Paul. Oh, my oh, goodness. I, I don't that. trust you very much I anymore. I trusted oh. you to make me last. But that well, did not Well, happen. life's full of disappointment. You now have 30 seconds to impress me, Paul. <laughs> goodness. And I will start the timer when I end seconds. the question. What do you think the best Pixar movie is for families and why? Oh, that's got to be up, right? Because it is a delightful movie featuring Doug the dog who just loves his little cone of shame. Um, you deal with uh, grief and loss and pushing forward, which don't sound like big kid themes, but really, in context, they really are. I think the they kids deal with those very difficult themes as well. It deals with relationships, and it has so many bright colors and I, who doesn't want to go up to a waterfall? Oh, that was great. That one doesn't count, though. <laughs> so I sort that of feel like one. this is boxing where somebody's, you know, you've got a whole panel of judges. Ashley, how did you score, Paul, on that? I scored five. Okay. Five. Good five points. Okay. And I have, I have given the authority to judge the number of points to Ashley, so we will go with five. Five for Paul. Great job, Thank Paul. Thank you very much. Nice job, Paul. Well done, sir. Thank you. I gave you I seven, but possible. just five for Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next, Adam. Okay. Let's have you go. I'm ready. And your question is, you're stuck in a remote forest with only your wits to survive. Who do you want to have with you to help you and why? Indiana Jones, James T. Kirk, Laura Croft, MacGyver, or Dora the Explorer? Oh, I love this question. I mean, <laughs> you wrote it. I wrote it, but I still like it. So I'm going to go with Dora the Explorer. Oh. Right? First of all, she has a backpack. Second of all, she has a map. Third of all, she has a monkey. I mean, the monkey's not on the list, but I think we got to give her the monkey. Fourth of all, Dora always gets where she's going, unlike all of the rest of those characters who sometimes end up in bad places. Fifth of all, she's cute. And sixth of all, I mean, who doesn't love Dora the Explorer? You know, she's cute. That does not help you in a survival situation <laughs> whatsoever. No, well, it helps no, your no. spirits. Th and think about it this way, too. But my turn's There's over. There's an animal that is, you know, chasing you. She could charm it with her cuteness. No, no, swiper, no. Swiper, no swiping. No, no swiping. works. That I mean, does not even, work. I bet we could even get swiper involved, which would be seven, but, but I'm out of time. that would be way out of time. Way out. I way think out that time. The, you're the, the one who kept talking. Count. You're the one who kept talking, not me. So, Adam, with all of your points, I give you six. That's Ooh, one over Paul. I love it. I love cheater. it. I love it. Cheater, cheater, cheater. All right. In <laughs> a way, I feel like yes, because we know that he wrote these questions. So I'm kind of like, you may not it's have true. had time to think of it in the moment, like right here, sit here and ponder, but you thought about it when you wrote it. Yeah. Well, cheating, cheating. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about Dora the Explorer. It clearly is. I thought and you, on that you were <laughs> Emily, it's your turn. <laughs> All right, Emily, your question is, if you could pick one superhero to be a character mentor for kids, who would you pick and why? Spider-Man, Superman, Captain America, or Batman? Not Batman. <laughs> um, um, oh, this is so difficult. I don't even know who to choose. I'm going to say Spider-Man because, one, because he's younger t and closer to their age. Two, because in the most recent movie, he had multiple t opportunities to kill people and chose not to. Three, the multiverse. Four, <laughs> because he's got Doctor Strange as a mentor for himself. Five, because he was really smart and he was... 
Aww. I love so hard. <laughs> well, we have a clear winner today, and that oh, is oh Adam. By one Congratulations, point. Adam. Well, maybe in... in Future weeks, we'll have to let somebody else write the questions well, so that we can eliminate whatever <laughs> no, what we advantage can, there might be in that. What we can do is we can all write questions and actually pull them out of a hat. Oh, that'd be Okay. Great. I love that. Not a proverbial hat, but a literal one. Yeah, because we know with great power comes great responsibility. I love Ooh, it. Nice. That's I what I should have said. That's a good one. I like I that. I love it. <laughs> Well, we hope you enjoyed this week's installment of Pop Culture Connection and You'll want to come back next week to see what kind of zany questions we'll come up with for next week. I feel like we need something involving Scooby-Doo next week if we're going to be zany. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. <laughs> well, thanks again for spending some time with us this week at the Plugged In Show. What did you think about our conversation today unpacking how we deal with violent content in movies? Let us know on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com and we would love to hear from you. We would also like to say thank you for being a Plugged In Show listener as well. So today, for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Focus on the Family Vice President of Parenting, Dr. Danny Huerta's book, Seven Traits of Effective Parenting. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our conversation. Or just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Well, thanks again for taking some time to join us today. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. I like to see her eyes light up and, and have her read some of the things to me. It's fun. Your child will love Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior magazines. They're filled with fun activities, jokes, and faith-based stories that will capture your child's heart and imagination. It really is just a good age level for my kids, and that's exactly what I was looking for. And I'm so excited, too, that it just focuses on the Lord. Learn more at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Club Radio.